0: Combo Court. Combo Court. You heard baby, Combo. Combo's Court, man, we're here. What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 292 of Combo's Court and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. Today's show, Alex Kennedy of Basketball News joins in to talk Summer League, free agency, and more you can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Kennedy NBA. That's AlexKennedyNBA. That's A L E X K E N N E D Y N B A. You know, you can find me on Instagram at One Two Combo. That's O N E T W O C O M B O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Kennedy basketball news welcome to combo Score, man how you feeling today Alex I'm doing well thanks for having me I appreciate it oh anytime it was you know it was great chopping it up with you and Spencer in the hallways of Thomas and Mac I think we've talked on the clubhouse app before and I've definitely had Spencer on the podcast I've had clips on the podcast I've had Matt Babcock on the podcast basketball news is well represented on combos court but it's great to have you on man
1: Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Uh, You've had all my guys on here, so I had to make sure I jumped on. It was good to see you. Uh, It was kind of a weird year out at Summer League uh, in terms of all the COVID restrictions. And we talked about a little bit while we were out there just trying to, you know, get the usual access. That was kind of difficult. But we still, you know, we still made the most of it. We got a bunch of video interviews and got to catch up with everyone and network a bit. So it was a good
0: trip. Most definitely. I mean, you've been in the basketball media game for a long time. Um, do you feel like there's a permanent shift when it comes to basketball media because of the pandemic?
1: I hope not. That's my biggest fear, to be honest with you. It's something that we've talked about a lot as our staff, you know, I know that the professional basketball writer association, they're really pushing to make sure that access gets back to the point that it was pre pandemic. Um, but we've seen, you know, the NBA and especially the Players association, there has been somewhat of a push in recent years to kind of, limit access and, and not open up the locker rooms and, you know, make things a bit tougher for journalists. I think players would be more comfortable if they didn't have to do interviews pregame, game, and, and follow kind of the media rules that are in place. So there is some fear that, you know, after the pandemic is over that the NBA or the NBPA is going to try to go back to, well, we don't really need this. We, we made it work throughout the pandemic. And why do we have to go back to opening the locker rooms up or having one-on-one interviews or anything like that? Um, that would be a, you know, a big blow, I think, to not only journalists like myself, but I think to the league. I think you know, we wouldn't be able to tell those stories and showcase those personalities in the same way if there's only these you know, rigid press conferences and you don't have the same access. So I hope that's not the case. And, and everyone you know, seems they're saying all the right things. Uh, but that is something that I think a lot of journalists are kind of fearing in the back of their mind.
0: Yeah. Speaking of journalist journalism, I mean, you started at the basketball media game really young. I think a lot of people in basketball media usually start as a player, usually start as a coach, maybe front office. But you really started in media. How did you know that you wanted to be in media so young?
1: Yeah, I was 14 years old. I, you know, I. I was a player first and I just realized at a much younger age than most people that I had no future as a player. So I was very realistic uh, in terms of my options. Uh, and I realized if I, if I wasn't going to play the game, I at least want to stick around it and, you know, have some kind of basketball related career. So I started writing for different message boards and, and websites. Uh, Real GM was one of them. And when I was 14, you know, I started writing there and one of the other guys at Real GM God, got to cover a Golden State Warrior shoot-around, and he did an interview with Speedy Claxton, I remember. And I was thinking, hey. Ostra. If- Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, he works at the same place I do. He got to interview Speedy Claxton and go to a warrior shoot around, you know, could I potentially get credentials to cover an event and interview some players? So I reached out to the Orlando magic PR department and they were cool enough to let me come by and start covering some games. I had to bring my dad as a chaperone, which looking back is pretty embarrassing. Uh, But we both would go in the locker rooms and, and it was a great experience. They basically told me, Hey, you know, try this out see if it's for you and you know see if you want to pursue a career in journalism and I loved it I thought it was amazing you know it blew my mind that at 14 years old people got paid to do this like you know that you actually would get to go to the games and and get an amazing seat and go talk to the players like in my head I'm thinking you know people people pay money for this and and yet they're getting paid to be here I I just thought it was the craziest job so I, I fell in love with it and I've been doing it ever since.
0: When did you feel like you were truly a professional in media or was it right away? You were, you know, 14. No,
1: early (laughs) on, I was I was like, you know, just trying to learn from watching all the other journalists that were around me and try not to get in the way. I didn't want to be like the obnoxious kid that was just like making it difficult for people to do their job and getting in the way. So I would say it was probably when I was like 18 or 19 years old. That's when I was around the same age as some of the rookies that were coming in. And it almost became an advantage right. for me because guys would prefer to talk to me over, you know, a 50 year old, 60 year old in the locker room. And we were interested in the same music and movies and doing some of the same things. They had a lot more money in their bank account, but <laughs> we had we had similar interests. And I think it did almost become an advantage for me. So I remember there was that shift from when like, it almost was players were talking to me just to be kind because they didn't want to blow off a kid to so like, Oh, I'm actually developing some relationships with players. And that's when I started to maybe break some news here and there. I remember like early on, I got a few free agency scoops from players and from agents. And that's when I started like actually feeling like a journalist and sure enough, you know, about a year after that, or around that time, I got my first uh, paying job at, you know, in journalism, a company called hoops world hired me to, uh, you know, come in, write some articles. And then I was able to work my way up at Hoops World to managing editor eventually. So I started as kind of an intern and writing once a week, uh, every other week kind of thing, and then worked my way up. Um, and then Hoops World became Basketball Insiders, where I was writing for, you know, many, many years. So, you know, the company that I actually joined really early on was the company that I ended up staying with. And then, uh, it, you know, I stayed there long term until Hoopsite hired me away. Uh, and I stayed at Hoopsite for about four or five years. So. Yeah, I mean, I would say that was kind of the point when I think people started taking me a bit more seriously because I was getting some of these scoops and exclusive interviews and things like that.
0: So that's interesting. We mentioned how the pandemic changed things. Um, and, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, how do you start a podcast? I'm sure a lot of people ask you, how do I get into basketball media? Um, I guess you could say it's one and the same. But would, you, would it be the same advice for back then than it is now to get in the game?
1: it's similar. I think uh, my my advice has always been just put yourself out there and start writing or start podcasting, Uh, you know, try to get credentials, try to get in the building. Um, I've told this story before, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people started to hear that I got credentials at 14 years old and started covering games at a young age. So a lot of younger journalists or, or aspiring journalists were reaching out to me. So, you know, one kid reached out to me on Facebook and, you know, he was, I think he was 14 or 15, around the same age as I was. And he was based in Chicago. And he was asking me, you know, how can I cover games? I want to start writing. And, uh, you know, I gave him the Chicago Bulls PR people's email. I, I, I re- gave him the contact for Real GM's editor because they had hired me at a young age. And then uh, that person was Sham Sharania. So, like, I've gotten a chance to meet some of these other, like, go-getters at a very young age. And that's been really, really cool. How, how uh, old was
0: Shams Sh- at, at that time?
1: I think he was like 15 and I was, I think, 6, 17, 18, 19. See,
0: people people only see Shams now. They don't realize all the years he put in, you know?
1: (laughs) Shams is another one of those guys that at a very young age was like grinding and putting himself out there. My thing has always been just don't be afraid of rejection. The worst someone can say is no. So try to ask for every interview, try to get credentials, try to get in the building, like anything you can possibly do, I would say to do it. You know, I was for a long time there, I was just cold calling agents and you know, trying to get any information that I could, and you know, then social media, you know, popped up, and I remember, I remember specifically being at uh, a high school journalism program at this thing called the Pointer Institute, and they all told us like, get it, get your laptop out, you're all signing up for Twitter right now. This is the next big thing, and I had no idea what it was, but it was super early on to the point that like when you sign up for Twitter, it would say, you know. Do you like basketball? Follow Shaquille O'Neal, CJ Watson. There was only like a few players on Twitter at the time. Whenever I signed up, it was kind of crazy. Uh, And then that became an advantage where I was just, you know, connecting with a ton of players and agents and executives on Twitter. So I do think nowadays it's easier because you can connect with people and get your work out there easier. And there are certain advantages that come with today. But with that said, because everyone can put their own stuff out there, it can be hard to stand out. Uh, And there's a lot more competition these days because everyone's kind of their own content creator.
0: Yeah, my advice for most people is, first of all, you have to start. And second of all is be consistent, because with consistency, you'll get better. I mean, it's just as simple as that, you know.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And then you start building up your resume and meeting, you know, people that can, uh, you know, help you connections that can help you down the road. So yeah, my biggest thing, like once I, once I actually got in the building, that was huge for me because then I was able to start meeting the players and agents and executives that would go on to help me. Uh, but yeah, you have to just start. And again, don't be afraid to hear the word. No, uh, put yourself out there, email PR people, agents, uh, reach out to players, do whatever you can to try to, you know, get that information and get those interviews. Or if you have a podcast, you know, like you said, be consistent with it. I think the biggest thing with a podcast is you have to have a posting schedule and stick to it. Otherwise people know, won't know when new episodes are dropping. You can't just like post an episode here and then two months later post another one. People just won't even know that you're you're doing a podcast. So it is a bit different now, um, you know, but there are a lot of the same rules uh, apply or a lot of the same advice applies.
0: Right, so now here you are at Summer League you've covered summer league before, obviously, but I mean, we kind of talked about what you went through at summer league, things have changed, but I thought the summer league experience was really good. I mean, people had masks on, it was a little bit different, but the energy was there. Like i I saw a lot of games. I watched a lot of basketball there. Um, connected with a lot of people, connected with a lot of people that have been on the podcast that I didn't meet in person, people that, you know, support me on Instagram that I never met. You know, it was a real, it's a really cool place to just connect with people. But what are some of the moments that stood out to you? To me, it was Jalen Green versus Cade Cunningham. I don't know if the people on TV could really see the energy that was in the building, but I think you could feel the start of like a new era, and these two are going to be playing against each other for a long time. What moments stuck out to you, and what player surprised you or impressed you?
1: Yeah, I think uh, as far as moments, you could tell people were excited to be in the summer league environment again. It had been quite some time. So I think everyone was excited to be in the same place and catching up with each other. There were a lot of people that, you know, I hadn't seen in, in a long time. You know, usually you're used to seeing the same people at summer league and then the draft and you know, the combine you know there's these specific events where the whole league is kind of in one place but most of us have been covering the league over zoom uh and a lot of agents and executives hadn't really been doing much either i know there are a lot of executives this year that weren't able to travel a whole lot and scout like a typical year so for everyone it was kind of like oh wow we're in vegas again this is so much fun so i think everyone got a chance to catch up and and you know see each other again which was amazing and yeah the energy was definitely there people were, were really excited to be there again like some of the access stuff was different but that's totally understandable. I'm just impressed that the NBA was able to have a summer league considering everything with COVID and, you know, rising cases and Delta variant and all that. Like, I know there were some people that were thinking it could be, you know, in jeopardy. So props to the NBA for putting on a great event. And there was a lot of excitement in the building. And yeah, I think for, for me, you mentioned it. uh, Jalen Green versus Cade Cunningham was kind of the big game that everyone was talking about. Um, I think a lot of people are debating over, you know, who has the brighter future, Uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting. I think Cade Cunningham, Cunningham is definitely the safer prospect, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's, there's some people and, and I, I tend to agree that Jalen green might have a higher upside than a Cade Cunningham. So, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I think the, those two guys are both very, very talented. Someone like Jalen green was able to just dominate right out of the gate because he's, he's used to this. You know, he kind of talked about it after the games that this felt like a G league game. Whereas for a lot of these guys, like a Cade Cunningham or an Evan Mobley, it was a step up in competition and game speed and all that. So I think that was an advantage for someone like Jalen green, but you know, that was uh that was definitely one of the moments that stood out. I gotta give credit to uh to nba top shot too man i think that was one of the moments that stood out for me like you know i'm not sure how uh you know how into top shot your audience is but um you know they had the big booth there and then every day you could buy moments and you could flip them off and you know between I- I'll-, I'll say this uh, i'll be transparent here you know i bought 10 moments each day so you could buy 30 moments in total yeah. uh i spent 150 dollars i flipped half of them for one thousand three hundred dollars. so i mean there's real money that was being made by the top shot community out in Vegas. It was the first time ever that you had to be in the arena to buy one of these moments. So right. they were kind of these historic things and people around the world were like clamoring to get them. So I thought that was a really cool thing. That was something that we hadn't seen before from a top shot standpoint. And uh, it was, it was fun to take part in that.
0: Yeah. Clips kept talking to me about top shot. He, he, was, he, <laughs> he always
1: talks about it. Yeah. I figured he'd be in your ear too. He's always blowing my phone up and, and hit me up about top shot. Yeah. Um, He's into it more than I am at this point, I would say, but I am I am interested in it. And uh, it was kind of cool to see that, uh, you know, that kind of thing be implemented. We hadn't really seen that before.
0: Yeah. Shouts to Clips and Drew. So from what Clips was telling me is that they're going to start this where you could only get the moments from that game in person. And they're going to this is the first time they're doing it, but they're going to try and continue that into the future.
1: Yeah, it seems like that's that's what's coming. So if you're in an arena, you know you could get an exclusive moment from that game. They're also, you know, really going all in on experiences. So recently, people that are Top Shot collectors that completed certain challenges or did certain things, they got flown out to the draft and got to meet with the draft prospects ahead of the draft. Or there were guys that were flown out to summer league and they played, you know, Horace with Tyrese Halliburton and got, you know, front row seats to the games and things like that. So you know they're kind of going in that route too, where. It's almost uh, like a raffle ticket, too, in a way, where not only does it, uh, is it this online community where you can, you know. Collect different moments and and trade them and flip them, but it can also get you into these cool experiences. So I know clips, for example, has talked about it. You know, there could be a moment where he has all the Clippers moments, one of each of the players. So if they do something where they reward the biggest Clippers fans on Top Shot, you know, you never know. He could be flown out and and get a chance to hang out with a bunch of Clippers players or whatever. So I do think that's part of it too. They're kind of taking it to these real life perks now. Uh, and, and that's you know, the in arena stuff is just another part of that. So it is cool to see kind of. Evolution Top Shot. I don't want to, you know, go too off topic here, but uh it is fun. I think the Top Shot stuff's pretty cool. So seeing how they continue to adapt it and, and grow it is pretty awesome.
0: Any one guy that impressed you? Uh, I know you were busy at Summer League outside of Jalen and Cade.
1: Yeah, I have a I have a list here. I had a few guys that stand out that stood out to me, and I got a few guys that that uh, that disappointed me too. Tyrese Maxey blew me away I thought you know he looked like he didn't belong out there you know uh, he's one of those guys where he starts dominating and then uh you know in the past we've seen teams have pulled the guy and said okay you've shown enough uh he looked fantastic he you know showed things that he hadn't shown last year uh I, I was very impressed with him the way he played then his maturity too just talking to him after the games you know he just gets it uh he's super charismatic he's very mature uh I think you know he has a very bright future Trey Jones was a guy that a fellow Top Shot collector, he was actually on our NBA (laughs) Top Shot show. Uh, I'm a big Trey Jones fan. You know, he's someone that didn't play a ton last year as a rookie, but but then this year, you know, he had the game winner against, I believe, Charlotte. Um, You know, he had almost a triple-double in that game. Like, you know, he had 20 points in one game, 30 points in another. Like, he was just dominating out there. And you could tell he had that NBA experience and that it helped him a ton. As far as the rookies, uh, actually, Desmond Bain was another one I want to shout out. Uh, He had some really good games. And I just still can't believe, you know, how much he slipped in the draft and that Memphis got such a steal in him. He seems, uh you know, like someone that's going to be a key contributor for them for, for a long, long time. And as far as the rookies, Jalen Johnson, uh, another guy that slipped, you know, to Atlanta in the draft, you know, he looked so comfortable out there. So fluid. I was very impressed with his game. Cam Thomas was a guy that uh, I think this environment definitely helps someone like him, or he can shine in an environment like this because He is such a great microwave scorer, uh, but he he showcased that, you know, he was really scoring at will and making it look easy out there for the Nets. Uh, I was impressed with him. And then another guy was Chris Duarte from the Indiana Pacers who, you know, it makes sense because he's 24 years old. He's a bit more NBA ready than some of these other prospects that need some time to develop. But I was just blown away with his high basketball IQ and the plays he was making out there for himself and for others. So yeah, those are some guys that stood out as far as guys that, you know, looked like they didn't really belong out there or kind of struggled Brandon Knight. And I I hate to say it, it's, it really, it's unfortunate, but you know, he was awful out there. I think one game he missed all the shots and had like eight turnovers or eight fouls. I forget which one it was, but you know, he was turning the ball over. He was fouling a bunch. Uh, There were a few games. And actually even after his first game, the coach said he hadn't played in uh, a bunch of months and he, he regretted giving as many minutes as he did when a coach kind of says that, uh, you know, on the record right after a game, that's pretty damning. Uh, And then Emmanuel Moutier was another one that didn't play as well. If you're someone like Brandon or Emmanuel Moudier, you need to be dominating in that environment. You're someone that's played in the NBA before. And if you can't beat, you know, summer league players, then it really hurts your chances of getting on an NBA trading camp roster and showing what you can do. So some of those veterans that, you know, were hoping this was a chance for them to get back in the league, it was disappointing to see them kind of struggle. Uh, That's always kind of tough. You know, I'm sure they'll get some kind of overseas opportunity, but, you know, those guys specifically, it was pretty – pretty, you know, it was a bummer watching them, you know, not really be able to do much against summer league competition. Uh, especially because I'm like Moody, who's not even that much older, you know, than a lot of these guys, he's, he's still relatively young. Um, so that w- those were two guys that really struggled to me.
0: Yeah. Wow. There's a lot to unpack there, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody who wants to go to summer league, I think it's important for you to go to maybe the first few days, because first of all, they might start shutting down some of the top guys because they're going to be really careful with them. Second of all, the guys that don't belong, are soon going to not be playing because they're going to shut them down as well. Great points with those guys. Peyton Pritchard and another guy who kind of like, I think he left or they shut him down early. He really looked like he was on a different level. You could kind of tell that some of these guys like with that one year of experience are just on another level than maybe most of the rookies, you know? Um That's what you want to see from those guys too. Right. You know, in the past, it's been,
1: it's been a little bit different because they've had a year of summer league experience too. Obviously for a lot of these guys, they were making their summer league debut because there was no, you know, summer league last year, but if you're if you're a team that's sending a second year guy, you know, the whole point is to build their confidence, to have them showcase what they've been working on the offseason and kind of how they've been developing. And uh, someone like Tyrese Maxey, like we talked about, did that. He showed he different elements of his game that he didn't get a chance to as a show last year in Philly. So that's what you want to see from these guys. You know, you really want those second, third year guys to dominate. And a
0: lot of them did. I was really impressed. Yeah, Tyrese Maxey, you watch him play for one second, you could tell, like, he was kind of on a different level. Like, you didn't have to watch much. Like, you were just there, and he was just on a different level. That's so interesting. Great points on Summer League. I mean, Ben Simmons, I'm hearing the teams that he might go to. It doesn't seem like he'll be with the Sixers when the season starts. He he cut communications off. I know people are saying the Kings. I really don't like that too much because I want to see Ben – no slight to Kings fans with a better organization. I would like to see, you know, even on a contender like the Warriors, what are your thoughts on some landing spots for Ben? It's tough
1: with that asking price that, you know, Daryl Morey is putting out there. They're saying they want three, four first round picks and, you know, established players and things like that. Um, Sacramento, is interesting because, you know, they're a team that's desperate enough to try to break their postseason drought that maybe they would eventually, you know, get close to that asking price and and give up quite a bit in order to get him. Uh, Most teams I think would just hang the phone up and say, we're not going to get anywhere close to that, especially with with what we've seen from Ben recently. Um, So I think what you're going to see here is either the Sixers are going to have to lower their asking price Or, you know, the other option, and and I don't know if this is a possibility, but it's possible they enter the season with Simmons on their roster and have him go out there and play a bit and show, hey, this guy was a defensive player of the year runner-up. He did almost average triple-double. He's a great facilitator. Like, he's better than what he showed in the playoffs. I'm always a – I hate when teams trade players when their value's at an all-time low. So it would make sense for them to try to – you know, raise his stock a bit. Now, I don't know if that's possible with that, with how uh, Doc Rivers and Duel Embiid kind of threw him under the bus on the way out after that series. Um, that's That's a difficult thing. But if no team, if I'm Philly, if no team is willing to, you know, get anywhere close to your asking price, it would make sense to try to, you know, raise his stock a bit and have him play a, a bit, even if it's somewhat awkward. We've seen in the past with, you know, Dwight Howard requests a trade and everyone thinks it's inevitable. He's going to get moved and he starts the season in Orlando. Carmelo Anthony did it in Denver. Like, you know, these, the situation's different than that, obviously. Um, and apparently, you know, there's the rumors that he's cut off communication. Other people have disputed that. So who really knows what the truth is there, but you know, I would not be surprised if they did try to play him for a month or two just to get his stock back up and then try to move him, you know, in during the season. But as far as like other teams that make sense as a possible destination, you know, I think Sacramento is the most interesting. Uh, they have a number of young players there that they could try to move in addition to their picks. Um, you know, other teams that have been mentioned are, you know, Minnesota. They've been tossed out there. Um, Golden State has been mentioned as a possibility. One team to watch is Portland. And I know I've heard this uh, from people around the league that Daryl Morey doesn't want to move Ben Simmons until the Damian Lillard situation is kind of resolved. And the way it was said to me was if he did trade Ben Simmons and then Lillard requested a trade a week or two later, he'd be devastated that he didn't get a chance to kind of get in that mix. So I think that's interesting to kind of keep an eye on and, Lillard situation if he were to become available maybe there's something there between those two teams where they could make something work um and kind of swap those players uh but I think Portland makes sense anyway even if Lillard does stay because they're trying to make a win now move to keep him happy and improve that roster so those are a few teams that are mentioned you know it's tough there's not like a great fit you talk about all these different teams and there's no one team that stands out as like an amazing fit um I'm curious where do you think where would you like to see him land?
0: I mean, I always said I'd like to see him in a situation like Giannis had, kind of, you know, just spacing around him. I don't know what that situation is now. He's obviously not taking Giannis's spot with the Bucks. So <laughs> Golden State
1: then would make a lot of sense, though.
0: Yeah, I mean, they like the thing is though that Draymond plays that role, um, right? You know, so it's kind of tough with them too. So yeah, you're right. There is no perfect fit. I would like to see him in Golden State though, because I would like to see him on a contender, and uh, maybe he could play, you know find a way to play the five while Draymond is there kind of playing that point type role. And then he could, when Draymond's not on the court, he could obviously play as that initiator. I wanted to ask you this, though. I mean, obviously, Daryl's asking for a lot, but don't you feel that NBA decision makers are a lot higher on Ben Simmons than, let's say, NBA Twitter?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's so funny looking at some of the comments about Simmons on Twitter, like, you know, they'd be lucky to even get a first round pick for him. He's going to land in China, blah, blah, blah. Like I think that that's, that always happens where, you know, Twitter is very reactionary and, you know, you're only as good as your last game. And, uh, you know, a guy struggles and all of a sudden has zero value. You know, NBA, NBA decision makers definitely have seen what he's done throughout the bulk of his career. And a lot of times, too, whenever they've shown interest in a guy like this, they've shown interest. You know, since the guy was in high school or college and they've kind of they have a file they've been building up on him and doing different homework on him so that down the road, if he does become available in a trade or they have a chance at him in free agency, they have just a ton of scouting information and intel on him. So a lot of these teams have done their homework on Simmons over the years. And now if they have a chance to get him, then they're kind of revisiting some of that old information on him and, you know, talk to people around the league and things like that. So, yeah, there's no question, you know, other teams do value him more than I think fans would think. Um with that said, I do think Daryl Morey's asking price is still pretty high, even compared to where NBA talent evaluators, you know, kind of value Simmons. So I, I see why like fans are are freaking out about that four first round pick report or three first round pick report. Um, but yeah, there's a I think there's like a middle ground between where Daryl Morey sees him and where other NBA executives
0: see him. Yeah, NBA Twitter will go crazy if Ben comes back with a jump shot, though. It'll be going nuts.
1: <laughs> I'm, it's so funny because, like, every offseason we do this, where Ben Simmons looks great in in some random gym during his workouts and he's knocking down threes. Well, that's happening like, oh. already, right, with Rondo? Yeah, we saw it recently. We saw it like, oh. last week, and it's so frustrating. Like I, get, I get Sixers fans' frustration where, you know, if he's making these shots in the offseason – and then just refuses to take them in games like that's very frustrating there's no question there's a mental component and one thing i think another thing that nba fans or nba twitter doesn't realize is that a lot of these dudes in an empty gym can make shots you know all day like you know i was in the gym last week with kylo quinn and he's draining 3s nonstop. like it's not crazy to think that ben simmons is knocking down threes in an empty gym with no defender on him it's different when you're actually in a game environment but You know, someone like Giannis just showed us in the postseason the value of taking threes, even if you're not making them at a high clip. Like, you know, you have to at least force defenses, to be honest. Like, that's all Sixers fans and Sixers coaches and everyone's not even asking Ben to be a 40% three-point shooter. They're just saying, take the shot. So I get the frustration there if you're a Sixers fan. Um, I'm very curious to see how this Simmons thing plays out. Because, again, there's not a great fit when you talk about all the teams that are interested. You know, it's possible, like, one of these teams that we're even talking about, like, Uh, Washington or Toronto that does such a great job of developing prospects and getting the most out of players Uh, or Indiana or someone random, you know, emerges as some kind of suitor for Simmons. And we're all surprised. Like, I I don't know where he ends up, but uh, it's an interesting situation to follow for sure.
0: Yeah. I hope he ends up with a contender. I always been a defender of Ben Simmons because he's elite in so many areas of the game with just that one glaring weakness. So I really hope to see him on a contender. And you know what, even win a championship. But yeah. um, you know, one thing I will say in summer league with all this Ben Simmons stuff happening, him not shooting, it was encouraging to see Scotty Barnes be a willing shooter. The listeners of my show know I was really hot on Scotty Barnes for a while now, but to see him as a willing shooter, I think was really important.
1: Yeah, I love Scotty Barnes. I, I love I think he uh, he's a willing shooter. I think he's in the best possible situation to get the most out of his potential. Like if you're Toronto, I get why they'd go, hey, we want Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs because they have, a, they have a long track record of developing, uh, you know, especially players like Scotty, You know, Masai Ujiri kind of has a type. And Scotty Barnes fits that type. And I think they do a great job of kind of maximizing these guys' potential. So maybe Suggs was the safer pick or has the higher floor. But, you know, if you're Toronto and you believe in your developmental staff and the customized plans that they give all these guys to maximize their potential, it makes sense why you go to someone like Barnes. And I think also, like, you know, he might be the best personality of any of those guys like in the, in the lottery. I think like you, you see some of the interviews and some of the things on social media and He just seemed like such a happy, fun kid. So I think Raptors fans are thrilled to land him. Um, You know, we also saw in summer league, he was defending one through five, which I mean, him and OG are going to be a nightmare uh, in Toronto for, for many years, I think. Uh, So yeah, I think it was a very good pick by the Raptors. I totally get it. I know that they wanted Evan Mobley. They were very high on him. Obviously didn't get a chance at him because he went number three, but I mean, who's not high on Evan Mobley. Uh, So
0: I think Barnes is a great pick. Yeah. I mean, you know, to, I know we keep going back to NBA Twitter, but everybody on NBA Twitter is like, oh, the Magic won. Like, they won this draft, Jalen Suggs. And I'm not saying they didn't, but my thoughts were, was like Toronto won. Toronto won this draft in my head. You know, that's all I was thinking about. Um, another guy that we could say that maybe BDR fans or NBA Twitter is a little bit lower on than actual NBA decision makers. Lonzo Ball, he goes to the Bulls. Um, they also get DeMar DeRozan. Interesting fit, you know, with some of those guys. Lonzo is actually a great fit in my opinion because he became so much of a better shooter off the ball. And obviously his defense is great. How would you grade the bulls off season?
1: I think they did an amazing job. You know, the bulls entering the off season said they wanted to bring in multiple guards uh, and they wanted someone that could really help, defensively uh, especially you know with Zach Levine and Nick Vucevic and and some of those guys as kind of their focal points they want someone that could cover some of those defensive uh, you know weaknesses a bit and in Lonzo Ball you get a guy that not only is terrific defensively and can really help them on that side of the floor and a guy that's a great facilitator but you got a guy that can help from an offensive standpoint and uh, add shooting too uh and, I mean his upside is just incredible. Like I think he's someone that still has a ton of untapped potential. It's going to be very interesting to watch how, you know, the change of scenery helps him and how he can develop. Um so I think it was a great a great move by the Bulls adding adding Ball and then to get DeMar DeRozan too, I think it just signals to the rest of the league that they're in win now mode. Um you know, that's something that I interviewed uh interviewed Vooch last year after he got traded to Chicago and he he basically said, you know, everything that the front office is telling us is that they're in win now mode, they're going to be aggressive. He thought that the trade for, for himself for Vooch and some of the other moves they made at the deadline was kind of a message to the rest of the league that you know the Bulls are back and they're looking to win right now and contend. And then sure enough, you know, another aggressive offseason for uh, for this bull's front office. I think they've done a great job. Now, there are the questions about the fit, and DeMar DeRozan addressed that. We actually wrote an article on basketballnews.com about you know the fit there. And Demar basically said, like, look, it's basketball uh i he said people who are saying that it's all about fit this and fit that and will they fit have probably never played basketball you know i think that's a bit much i don't think that's necessarily true um but it will be interesting to see how all these pieces fit together uh you know the talent is there and i think the talent is there there's no question the talent's good enough to be you know a top five seed in the eastern conference but can they you know, go on a deep playoff run and contend for a championship with the fit and those questions. That's the bigger question. Like, they're good enough on paper to beat up on teams they should beat during the regular season and have a nice record and, and you know, a nice win total. But can they actually get it done in the postseason? That's a big question. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see and how they all come together.
0: Man, it's so interesting. You mentioned that DeMar said that because, you know, I formerly played for many years, but there's a lot of people who really know the game that did not play basketball. And on top of that, there's a lot of NBA decision makers, and we definitely see in the analytics community, I mean, some of the guys in the analytics community did play, like, you know, Seth's part now, a lot of people don't know, he played college basketball, a lot of people wouldn't know that, he's been on my pod a lot of time, but, you know, there are people in basketball that are big time decision makers that haven't played, so, I mean, you have to respect it, they know the game
1: yeah no totally and i think a lot of those analytics guys too like going back to just the perception of them it's very different from how they actually think like i think a lot of people feel like the analytics guys don't even watch the game and there's no eye test or anything
0: whereas right they watch a analytics lot of fi- they watch a lot of film a lot of film.
1: they watch a ton of film and, and yeah, yeah. they view analytics as like one tool in the toolbox and it can help you know it can help you decide what to watch and what to look for. But I think there's that mentality or this perception that they only look at the numbers and don't look at anything else. And, you know, that's false, but I am curious to see with this Bulls team, just how they all fit together. I think, you know, they're much, they were already much better than their record or their finish to last season kind of indicated because we saw Zach Levine was out, you know, and missed a bunch of games. Vooch was new to the team and was kind of adjusting and didn't really, you know, know the the system or know his teammates game and things like that like a full offseason which with Levine and Vooch would have been enough to help his team take a decent step forward but now to add in Lonzo Ball DeMar DeRozan I thought Alex Caruso was such an underrated pickup like you know yes he's a guy that uh (laughs) it's interesting because at one point he was like being overrated by a lot of fans and it was like a meme to vote him in the all-star game and stuff like that. But you know, he's become a really, really good defender. He's a really smart, high IQ player. Like I think he's actually going to help them a lot and add some, add some nice depth there to their backcourt. So I thought that was a great pickup as well. That isn't really being talked about a ton. Like that's a big loss for the Lakers and a big addition for the bulls. So I, I like their offseason a whole lot. I'm very curious, you know, the Laurie marketing thing is still out there too. We talked about, you know, some of the the big names still out there. We actually, you know, you
0: know how they say like swing for the fences type draft picks. He's like a swing for the fences type free when it comes to free agency, because you don't know how good he could be. And he, you know, it's kind of like a high variance with him.
1: Yeah. He's 24 years old. And I mean, we saw he had this outstanding rookie year where he averaged, you know, I think 15.9 points and like seven rebounds. And the problem is every year since then he's kind of done the same thing. Like he's really kind of stagnated where we're not seeing growth year after year. Now I will say this past year, he did shoot the ball better from three. I think his three point percentage jumped up above 40%. So he got more efficient from the field and from three, but he's been the same player. And I think also some, you know, the kind of player that he is i think some teams are scared off of after seeing what happened with chris apps porzingis and some of these guys that can't really defend as well and um, yeah. have struggled in the playoffs i think that has some teams worried to be honest but yeah he's, he's still so young he was the number seven overall pick we've seen he can score the ball i mean he's averaged over 15 points every single year of his career including one year where he scored 18 points per game he's a good shooter like a team out there that needs shooting uh, it makes a lot of sense to throw an offer his way. The problem is, for most of these teams, they're out of cap space. So if you if you make an offer that's you know uh, five million, six million a year, the Bulls will just match it. You know they have they have the right to match every single offer sheet. So you know really a team needs to get creative and either use a traded player exception to land him and a sign and trade, or they need to make a move or two to clear up cap space so they can go sign him. So like you know one scenario was could Boston or Minnesota make a trade and dump a salary to OKC? And then they have the money to go out and make a competitive offer to marketing. Um, It's, it's kind of a tricky situation because like the only teams with cap space are the Thunder and I think the Spurs and it's, there's not a whole lot of teams out there that can make less, you know, make a lot of sense. Or does he sign the qualifying offer? you know, take $9 million this year and then hit unrestricted free agency again next offseason. And that way he doesn't have to worry about being restricted and the offer sheet and all that kind of stuff. It's an interesting situation. Like he's the top free agent available. There's no question about it. Uh, There's been some rumors about like Minnesota showing interest and a few other Pelicans, right? Wasn't Pelicans? That makes sense.
0: That makes sense in terms of timeline and, and needs and fit, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, their whole thing this offseason has been let's put shooting around Zion and and Brandon yes. Ingram. So to right. add someone like Markkinen who could come off the bench and kind of provide, you know, that that shooting and spacing, and it does make sense. Um, but again, you know, I think I forget if they have a trade. The, w- the only reason why
0: the only reason why I wouldn't make sense is because defense was a huge issue for them as well.
1: Well, that's the thing in Minnesota too. Like if you have D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, Laurie Markkinen, you know, Carl Anthony Towns, like how's that going to work defensively? Like if, if marketing was a better defender, he wouldn't be having these issues, but uh, it, it's just tough with, with how much he struggles defensively. Like a team really has to love his shooting and what he provides offensively in order for it to make sense. Um, in someone like the or team, like the Pelicans, they have the largest trade of player exception in the NBA, actually uh, 17.1 million. They got it in the Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe trade. So it's possible they could try to use part of that, you know, trade a player exception uh, and do a sign and trade. So Chicago gets a nice trade player exception. Maybe they get a draft pick too. New Orleans gets shooting. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him, uh, and, you know, and which of these teams gets creative to sign him or, or sign and trade for him. Um, but yeah, I'm surprised he's still out there. But we've seen that in the past where when you're restricted free agents, it kind of, it kind of sucks that can take longer than, uh, than you'd expect.
0: Speaking of the Pelicans, former Pelican J.J. Reddick has decided not to start the season with any team, maybe to focus on podcasting. He's a great podcaster. Um, I like the decision because I think when you're a veteran, you kind of know how to stay in shape. When you have that time off as a veteran, you could kind of take care of yourself. So I, I like the move by J.J. Reddick, and I think there'll be a lot more interest as the season goes on and teams need shooters. What are your thoughts on J.J. kind of taking off the beginning of the season? Because I don't think we see a lot of players taking this route.
1: Yeah, I think it makes sense. Um, you know, I covered JJ for a long time in Orlando, and I've gotten to know him. I think, you know, he doesn't love the training camp either. Like, I remember last year, whenever <laughs> the Pelicans, when the Pelicans signed or, uh, or hired Stan Van Gundy, there was some great reaction from JJ because he knew how tough Stan Van Gundy's training camps were from his time in Orlando. And he was just like, oh, great. Uh, so I, I think uh, I think for him, he gets to, you know, continue to kind of recover because he had the heel injury that kept him out of the playoffs and didn't really get him he didn't really get to play much with dallas because of the injury so he gets time to you know make sure he's completely healthy he can avoid training camp which i know a lot of veteran players would love to do we've seen some that you know some of that in the past where guys have decided to sign mid-season so they don't have to go through a training camp um and then he can you know go and provide shooting for one of these teams it also gives him a chance to make sure he's on a contender like the worst thing for, for a guy like that, that's kind of chasing a championship is to sign with a team. And then, you know, in the first week of the season, one of their key players gets injured and that team's no longer contender. So by, by doing it this way, by waiting a month or two into the season, he can see kind of where the standings are, which teams are looking the best, you know, is it Brooklyn? Is it the Lakers? Kind of get, get a feel for how these top teams are looking and which team he can help the most, which team has the most minutes for him. So I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and, you know, there's some guys out there that have kind of taken this route. It wouldn't surprise me if this becomes even more popular in the future, uh, because you can yeah. ensure that you're you, you can ensure that you're going to a top team uh, that needs your services and there's significant playing time for you. So I think it makes a lot of sense. And again, he gets to avoid going through a grueling training camp, which I know a lot of veterans want to do, especially at that age.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, when you're a veteran, you could kind of just work on the things you know you need to work on for yourself and your body and your game. And it might be even more beneficial than going through that training camp.
1: Yeah, exactly. Especially like you said, at this point in his career, he knows how to keep himself healthy. He knows how to get into shape for a season. Like not all players had the luxury to do this, but when you're someone like J.J. Redick and you know there's going to be interest for you and you're going to have multiple options in terms of where to sign, you can afford to do something like this. So, you know, uh, could a fringe player that, has to fight their way under the roster to training camp. Do this obviously not, but someone like Reddick, he knows there's going to be a midseason interest in him if he does wait it out. Uh, he can spend some more time with his family. That's the thing, too. A lot of people aren't talking about this, but so many of these guys are coming off of a crazy stretch where you know they were in the bubble and then they barely had an offseason, they played a full year. And so a lot of these guys, like I know with the Olympics, for example, a lot of guys want to stay home and and recover and and stay with their families and spend time with them. So um, I'm not surprised to see him do this. You know, he gets to spend some more time with his family, recover, and then join a team that he knows for sure is going to be in the mix for a championship. Uh, So yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, And again, not all guys can do this. So I think it would become more popular if more guys could do it, but there are always some every year. Like I know Kyle Corver floored with this last year where he was off a of roster and was kind of talking to teams midseason. We used to see Ray Allen do this. Like every year there were the rumors that Ray Allen was going to come out of retirement and sign with somebody. Like when you're a right. shooter, there's always going to be a need for your services and you can afford to do something like
0: this. Right. Last thing before we get out of here, Alex, quite simply will Dan Lillard be in a Portland trailblazers uniform when we start the season?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think he will be. Um, I know a lot of fan bases want him to request the trade and they want him out of there because they want their favorite team to have a shot at him. Um, I think he's going to start the season with Portland and see how this team can do with a full off season after getting Norm Powell and, you know, some of the moves they've made are uh, Chris Sheridan at basketballnews.com asked him about kind of the disappointment in free agency of, losing Carmelo Anthony and Ennis Cantor and not really gaining many significant contributors aside from a Cody Zeller uh, and some guys like that, Tony Snell. Um, And, you know, he basically said, you know, we didn't get the guys that we wanted. It was unfortunate, but um, he basically said he didn't blame the front office and there's really not not much you can do in free agency. You just try your best and hope for the best. But um, yeah, I think Lillard has been super loyal to this organization. I think he wants to see if Chauncey Billups, if his impact can kind of change things a bit and you know how much of an upgrade there will be just from a coaching standpoint um i think this the the fact that neil olshay is saying that oh it's not the roster that's not why we're struggling that blows my mind that he's not taking any accountability and saying that the roster is not part of it at all like and lillard said the same thing he said we're not a championship you know team at this point as currently assembled or as currently assembled if you take just the coaching upgrade and think that's going to make us a championship team i don't know what you're seeing so lillard even said that so that's why i think portland's kind of a a team to watch as far as a dark horse that could be in the mix for some of these big trades or big moves like i think if they want to keep lillard they have to make some kind of big splash in order to you know show him that they're listening and that they're going to make some changes. So you hear guys like Pascal Siakam and some of these other big names that are out there as possible trade targets. Like if I'm Portland, I'm doing everything I can to try to make a trade for one of these guys. And that buys you some time and who knows it might work out and, you know, give yourself a chance to to go on a deep run around the Lord. So yeah, I mean, he has said how he feels about this current roster. So either they change it or maybe the trade deadline or next offseason we see him request a trade, but as far as this year, you know, in this off season, I can't see him requesting a trade. I think it'll take some more time. I think he, he badly wants to win a championship in Portland and bring it, bring a title to the blazers. He loves that fan base. He loves the community. He really wants to play there. So I think he's going to give them every possible chance to fix this before ultimately leaving. And now it's up to the blazers in their front office to, you know, go out there and make some smart moves over the next year. So that next off season he's not requesting a trade, but as far as right now, I think he does start the year with the blazers.
0: Alex, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Um, What's in the future for basketball news? Where can we find you on social media? The floor is yours, Alex. The floor is yours. Yeah,
1: basketballnews.com. We have 11 podcasts, including some of the ones we talked about here, like, you know, Fall Through with Clips and Drew. Uh, Kenya Martin has a podcast on our network called Neat and Unfiltered. The Rex Chapman Show is part of our podcast network. Uh, We also have James Posey, Atan Thomas, other former players that are part of our team. Uh, Every day we put out a bunch of exclusive articles, podcasts, videos. We also do these live streams where we all watch games together or react to free agency moves or the drafts. Those have been a lot of fun. So, yeah, I would say follow Basketball News on Twitter, on Instagram. Follow myself on Twitter at AlexCandyNBA. I'm usually tweeting out a bunch of, you know, stuff, obviously tons of basketball talk, but also links and stuff from our staff and, you know, content that we're putting out there. And yeah, I mean, we, we do want to get into long form content and some other stuff at Basketball News in the future. So we're excited about that. Um, but yeah, check out our podcast, check out our articles. And thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it.
0: Anytime. Two things before we get out of here. First, Clips is going to be really happy that you mentioned his podcast first. Really happy. <laughs> <laughs> and second <laughs> He's whole- the best. Yeah, man. Clips is the best. Clips is the best. out to Clips, Andrew. And... More specifically, what would you like to get into the future of basketball news? Is this, is there something specific when you mention long form content, what are you really looking for?
1: Yeah. Like we would love to do, I'm a huge fan of like behind the scenes content. So with things like documentaries, like web series, I have tons of interest in that. Like we've talked to some players about possibly following them throughout the course of a season or you know, going behind the scenes to show the process of like a signature shoe being made or what it's like to be with the player in the 72 hours leading up to the trade deadline or anything like that, I think would be a ton of fun. So we've had some conversations about that. I think those kind of things would be amazing. So long form content is definitely, you know, something that we want to pursue. Uh, And then, yeah, just growing the podcast network and continuing to, you know, add people to our staff uh, from a website standpoint, Um, you know, writers, podcasters, editors, video producers we we are constantly trying to expand we just launched last august so we're only one year old so uh yeah so i mean we're still relatively new uh it's been a crazy whirlwind of a year but i'm kind of i'm proud of where we are at right now but obviously we're still trying to expand and grow so it's been a ton of fun but that's kind of some of the things that we're looking forward to in the future
0: alex great stuff good luck to you and basketball news you're always welcome back on the show and talk soon Definitely. Let's do it again. Appreciate it, man. Thank you to everyone who listens to Combo's chord, Podcasts across the globe. and Big thanks to Alex for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. It would be great if you could share this episode. Share it with a friend. Share it on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me at 12combo on Instagram. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O Be on the lookout for episode 293. Combo, out.